mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the prophet Zephaniah. You may be seated. He begins the word of prayer. Almighty God, what a joy it is to be in your presence this day. So that you might come to us and tell us the truth about ourselves and drive us to repentance so that we might hear your word of forgiveness and mercy. God, you are a God who never tires of gifting to us where you delight. So we pray this day that you would teach us to hear your word this day. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are continuing through our Advent series that we're calling an Old Testament Advent. Now, we're actually concluding the series this day. I should mention this. Uh, speaking of all the singing, next week we're going to be having a special service called Lessons and Carols, uh, which is going to be a service that consists of lessons and carols. I guess it doesn't have that much explanation. Uh, so there will be readings and some of our favorite Christmas hymns uh, that we sing as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas uh, that week. Uh, we will still have the Lord's Supper, so uh, please be aware of that. But the service is going to be a little bit different next week. But that means that this week we are concluding the series. What we've been talking about with our Old Testament Advent is we've been saying that you can kind of look at the Old Testament like an Advent calendar. And an Advent calendar, you have all these little doors that you open up, and inside is a chocolate with a picture that is a glimpse of what you're waiting for on Christmas Day. It's, it's a picture of the reality of Christmas Day. It points you to what you're waiting for. Well, that's what the Old Testament does with Jesus. Every verse of the Old Testament, every page of the Old Testament, in some way is giving you a glimpse of the coming of Christ. It's showing you the sort of Messiah, the sort of Savior you are waiting for. And what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that Jesus comes to us, and he comes to us uh, prophesied in the Old Testament as a king. He comes as a Lord who redeems us from all that is uh, against us. We saw last week how Jesus comes to us as a prophet. That is, he brings God's word of law to us, but then more so he brings God's word of gospel to us, which declares us forgiven and saved. And now this week, we're going to kind of uh, conclude it all by showing today how Jesus is a priest. The prophet Zephaniah is going to show us how Jesus serves as our priest. Now, our reading from Zephaniah that we heard this morning, I think, is one of the more staggering gospel proclamations in all of Scripture. It is an overwhelming passage just saturated with one line of good news after another. The prophet Zephaniah is just adamant to that God is coming into your midst, and this is a good thing. Because by God being present with you, this means he has removed from you a number of things. It means he has removed from you judgment. It means he has removed from you fear. And he means he has removed from you all of your enemies. Zephaniah lays this all out. We have a shorthand way of saying this around here. We believe that Jesus has come to defeat sin, death, and the devil. By taking away all of our sins, we have no more need to worry about judgment. Jesus was judged in our place so that we are forgiven. And by Jesus coming for us, uh, he has overcome death by rising from the grave. Therefore, we have nothing left to fear. And Jesus comes to us and overcomes the devil. He drives the devil away from us and takes us back as his own. Therefore, we have no more enemies. Jesus has come to conquer for you sin, death, and the devil. This is what uh, Zephaniah says. Therefore, I will gather those of you 
who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather in the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At that time I will gather you again. So there's this sort of removal and this gathering. God promising to gather his people into his presence so that he might dwell in their midst. So the question for us today is, is how is he going to do this? How is God going to go about accomplishing that work of removal and gathering? See, here's the thing. It's not as though we can just kind of be in the presence of God. It's not as though God can just kind of come into our midst and it would be sort of a safe thing. In fact, it would be a remarkably dangerous thing. After all, we're sinners. And if sinners presume to enter into the presence of a holy God, sinners can expect a righteous and just wrath to fall upon them. So how is it that God can be in the midst of us without us suffering his wrath? Well, for this, we need a priest. We need a priest. And that's kind of a strange thing for us to hear. We don't talk a lot about priests in our day. We don't certainly talk about priests a whole lot in our church. If you come to a Lutheran church and you hear the language of priest, you tend to hear the conversation go something like this. I don't need a priest stand between me and God. I can go to God on my own. God wants to hear my prayers, and so I don't need a priest, some clergy member, standing up front and praying on my behalf for God to hear the prayers. I can do that all on my own. After all, I'm part of the priesthood of all believers. I don't need a priest to pray for me. I don't need a priest to go between me and God. Now, I think I agree to a point with that. I think the sentiment is, is correct to an extent. It's just that the words we're saying are wrong. You absolutely do need a priest. And I absolutely need a priest too. But by a priest here today, we're not referring to some clergy member who stands up between us and God because they're somehow more holy than we are, and God listens to that priest and not to us. We're not talking about clergy members here uh, at all. But we are talking about someone who needs to stand between us and God and do something about our sins. After all, as I've just mentioned, our sin is too great, and God's justice is too righteous for us to be in his presence without judgment coming upon us. And if we tried to go before him on our own, on the basis of something as silly as our good works, such sinful hubris would end us up dead in the presence of God's holy. So again, if you're going to be in the presence, you need a priest to handle your sinfulness. You need someone to stand between you and God. Well, enter Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ, then, who comes as your great high priest and enables you to enter into God's presence. Zephaniah, when he's preaching and he's prophesying about the coming of Jesus today, he uses language that if you were living in the old time of the Old Testament, it would have a very uh, strong priestly tone to it. This is what he says. The Lord has taken away judgment against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. Now that just kind of sounds like normal salvation work to us, but I, but I think if we're hearing this as sort of Old Testament people, what we hear is Zephaniah talking about this Lord coming to do the work of a priest. Specifically, the type of the work a priest would do on a day called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. That is Hebrew for the Day of Atonement. 
Uh, if you have Jewish friends, I imagine they still have some sort of celebration uh, with Yom Kippur. It, it's a very important day uh, in the Jewish calendar. But the priest on the day of Yom Kippur had a very significant job. And now here we're going to do kind of get down into the Old Testament weeds here, so, uh, so buckle up. But this, I think, is really fascinating stuff. On the day of Yom Kippur, uh, the priest, had a, uh, the great high priest, one priest only, had a very significant job on that day. He was to go into the temple, into the presence of God, and offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. Now, that priest would go in and he would wear a priestly garb. Uh, this is, he would have a breastplate on known as an ephod. There is a test on this next week, okay? So make sure you're writing all this down. He would wear an ephod. An ephod was this breastplate that had 12 jewels or 12 stones on it, each representing one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, the priest would go in as the representative of the people, bearing the people's burdens, bearing the people's sins. He goes in as their representative. But he can't go in on his own because he's a sinner himself. And so what the priest would do is he would take a bull and he would sacrifice the bull for himself and for his family. Then, once that was done, he would take two goats. The first goat he would tag, uh, he would take along with him, and he would tag it as the goat of sacrifice. This goat he would take into the, before the altar of God, and he would slaughter it, and he would spill its blood. This was to atone for or pay for the sins of the people. The goat was sort of a substitute for the people and their sins. You could call the goat a sort of substitutionary atonement. He stood in the place of the people and sort of took the wrath and shed his blood for the sake of the people. Then, with the other goat, the priest would go to that goat and he would place his hands on the head of the goat, symbolizing that the sins of the people are being transferred on to this goat. This goat would then be taken off into the wilderness to escape, that's where we get the term scapegoat, it would be bearing the burdens of the people as it went out into the wilderness and was led to a place that was hidden and could never be found. Sins were removed, never to be thought of again, far from the minds of God. This is what the priest would do. He would offer the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, and he would remove the sins of the people from Jerusalem, from Israel, so that God could dwell in the temple in the midst of his people without the people having to fear. So you have atonement for sins, you have removal of sins, and you have God dwelling in the midst of his people can't see how that points to Jesus Christ. This is very exciting. This is an amazing thing. Because Jesus comes here, and he comes now as our great high priest to atone for our sins and to remove them from us as far as the east is from the west. But notice how Jesus does this. Jesus does this not by putting on some ephod and sacrificing a goat. Rather, what Jesus does is he comes as both our great high priest and the sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus shows up, and he's not wearing an ephod, but he does come bearing your sins by bearing your flesh. Remember this? This is a wonderful account. When Jesus shows up, and he goes to be baptized. Remember when Jesus was baptized? And people always wonder, why is he being baptized? Because when Jesus went to the waters of baptism, he was in essence saying, I'm identifying with these people. These people are my people. I am one with them. I identify with them. I represent them. And I am taking all that is theirs upon my back. You can kind of think of it like this. Like when you were baptized, you could think of it 
sort of like your sins were all seeped into the water and then they sort of flowed down this river to Jesus who took them upon himself and came up out of the water so that he could bear them as a beast of burden bears them, as a scapegoat would bear them, and he would bear them to Jerusalem where he was then led outside of the city to a cross. And there on that cross, he suffered and died and bled to atone for your sins. There, he took credit for all of your guilt. He took the burden of all of your shame upon himself. And he poured out his blood so that by his blood, you would be cleansed. The very blood you are going to drink in the wine today at the altar. There, Jesus is cleansing you with the blood that was shed for you. And he has taken this burden away from you. He has removed these sins from you. And he's carried them to the cross and to the grave where he has buried them never to bring them up again, to leave them there forever. Jesus is never going back to those sins, even those sins that you go back to, even that guilt that weighs heavy upon you, even those things that you just can't seem to let go. Jesus isn't even thinking about them anymore. He left them in the tomb, and he's never going to bring them up again. All of this, Christ has done for you. And now because of this, you have access to God. God now dwells in your midst. He dwells with you. So that, this is what's so wonderful to me. In the Old Testament, the great high priest goes into the temple, only guy who can do it. Nobody else can go with him. Jesus is like, that seems lonely, so what I'm going to do is I'm bringing you all with me. I've atoned enough for all of your sins. You are completely forgiven that I'm bringing you with me into the presence of God. This is what we mean when we talk about the priesthood of all believers. All of us now have access to the presence of the Heavenly Father who delights in us and wants to hear our prayers, who invites us to the altar today so that he can again tell you your sins are forgiven. He can again give to you the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. God who delights to have you in his presence on account of Jesus Christ, your high priest and sacrifice. And if you start to really think about it, you really start to dwell on this, what starts to happen is you start wanting to sing. I think this is why we love singing so much at Christmas. Because we, we begin to focus in on the gracious nature of our God. We start to want to sing all these wonderful Christmas carols and these Christmas hymns, praising God for the amazing gift that he has given to us. What I find truly delightful in our reading from Zephaniah today is that, is that as we gather into the presence of God and we begin to open our mouths to sing before we can even get the words out, we hear another voice behind us. And it's not the person sitting next to you. And it's not the angels or the saints praising God. Zephaniah says the voice we hear is God himself singing his praises over you. Listen to these words. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his mouth. He will exult over you with loud singing. When you enter into the presence of God, it's he who is celebrating to have you there 
He is the one belting out songs of joy for the salvation that his son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished for you. He rejoices to see you. He will not contain his delight in you, who have been forgiven, redeemed, much to his joy, brought back into his presence by his dear son, Jesus. Jesus is your priest. Jesus is your sacrifice. Jesus is your choir director who delights in you. His promises of forgiveness and life and salvation are the songs that he sings into your ears and your hearts as you are gathered back into the presence of his Father. You have nothing left to fear in this world. And the God of all creation sends his Son as your great high priest to remove your sins and forgive you. You are cleansed, washed, redeemed, and what is left for us to do but to join in that song? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks, dear Father, that you delight and that you sing songs of celebration over the salvation your Son, Jesus Christ, has won on our behalf. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us to delight in you. Help us always to give thanks. The gift that we have received by Christ's work alone. In his name.